Hollywood, do, do, do. Dude, Hollywood swinging. It's the review a new podcast. I'm your host DJ. I'm your host Evan. And this is the podcast where we typically look back at the movies of our favorite filmmakers and kind of like assess them in a modern lens. But this is the most relatively modernist you can get. Yeah, with uh, uh, Mr. Quentin Tarantino. Uh, going through his filmography that we've been going through now, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because he hasn't released his 10th film yet, so this is 2019, this is the closest, uh... This is, yeah, this is the latest one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, no, I had not seen this one until just now for the, uh, podcast. I didn't, I, I just wasn't... I just wasn't uh, interested around this time and just, like, going to... It just kind of didn't, like, pull me like that, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Uh, what about you? I... I saw this in theaters, uh, if I recall correctly, and I really enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed it on the second viewing, just to lay my cards on the table. Um, I see the problems with this movie, and I'm not going to act like it's perfect or try to defend it as being perfect, but just from a purely subjective experience, I enjoy the absolute hell out of this movie. Wow, okay. I was a little cooler on it. Going into it, I was like... Like, because I just didn't know what to expect at all. I'd heard, you know, some sort of, uh, yeah, negative press around it. But I was thinking, like, well, there's always some sort of, like, negative press around this movie. Let me just check it out myself. And going into it, 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 it just didn't, uh, like, this on the second viewing, I think I might have appreciated what it was doing, especially close to the end a little bit more. But, yeah, some of the flaws beyond just sort of uh, messaging, uh, I, I just mean in terms of, like, uh plotting just kind of like was you know felt a little out of whack but we'll get into it uh as we go deeper into it first of all i just want to say uh if you want if you like this episode in the show that we're doing uh right now this uh review a new podcast that we do where we go through uh mofo's filmographies in fact i'm uploading uh, all of the uh quentin tarantino uh uh directed episodes now uh to the spotify podcast so you can hear all of them in a row now and then you know, if you listen to all of those and enjoy them, you can come uh, support your boy on Patreon at patreon.com slash rapcritic, where you can uh, get to see the exclusive episodes uh, first before they hit the uh, Spotify main stage, uh, as well as uh, get to join the Rap Critic uh, Patreon Discord to chat with me and fellow fans, uh, as well as see the Rap Critic episodes that I be doing, as well as the new songs that I'm working on. So, you know, that's Patreon over there. Definitely uh, get with it, act like you want it. Or if you want to uh, request a movie, or a uh, song, a rap critic review, or a, a music stream for me to review. Uh, that's Kofi.com slash rap critic. That's the uh, one-time donation site where you can give just one amount uh, based on the tier, or just give any amount that you want. You know, uh, I always appreciate uh, folks just you know donating to donate because uh, they enjoy the content. But yeah. If you would enjoy what I do, definitely hop on one of those uh, to do either ongoing uh, donations on patreon.com slash rapcritic or one-time donations on ko-fi.com slash rapcritic where you can request all the stuff that I brought up, including uh, personal reviews. I also be uh, listening to people's music that they send me, you know, they have to me and just, you know, I'd be giving you my opinions on them and how I feel about it. And you know what I'm saying? So I, 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 I like critiquing, you know, no matter what, you know, so... Uh, if you're willing to pay your boy for the time, you know, I'm willing to put in and, you know, talk about what you want me to talk about. So, 
uh, going back into it, let's get into this movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, I, th- that is interesting, dear, that you you seem to have thoroughly enjoyed the movie. I was like, oh, really? I was like, I, really kind of like, oh, so, we're going to have thing, a lot to talk about. And the thing is, like, this is why, like I say, like, I can't fully defend it, and mm. I feel like kind of a dupe that mm. I enjoy it as much as I do, because I'm, I'm 100% aware that I'm being manipulated here. I'm being very emotionally manipulated, but it's working on me. Here's my That's thing. what I'm I'm like, yeah, yeah, kick the shit out of those fucking hippies. Oh, sure. Ah. Like, <laughs> they say they want to change the world, but all they do is smoke pot and smell bad. No. <laughs> well, you know, in murder, pregnant But no, in this specific instance. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, uh, as, I, as I watched it, I, um, you know, what? this is what I was thinking as I watched it. I thought like, this movie is a great collection of scenes that I feel like does not become greater than the sum of their parts as I watch mm. it. Like, because I, I, I kept thinking, like, this actually is a cool moment here. This actually is a cool moment here. This actually is a cool moment here. But then I go, like, but what does this all amount to, you know? So, like, it's weird because, so the 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 parts that I think really don't work are, and, and they happen kind of back to back. Um, we'll get into it, you know, when we usually go through a little bit more chronologically, but there's a um, flashback involving Bruce Lee that Mm. people have talked about because it's pretty insulting and makes Bruce Lee look bad and it's kind of disrespectful. Um, I don't think that works, partly because it's, you know, annoying that they did Bruce Lee like that, but also um, there's a flashback to that and then there's a flashback within the flashback of... Uh, of Cliff, Brad Pitt's character on a boat with his harridan wife, whom he is rumored to have killed. Um, yeah. And and I feel like the flashback and the flashback within a flashback don't work because they seem sort of like weird digressions. Now and it hit a sour note just in terms of like because I had to have the take that sort of like wait is that the wife who died? Why'd they just show it like a look at her ass in that bikini? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it just felt like wait what's happening right now? Yeah and, and the thing is like so it's weird. I'm looking at the Wikipedia right now and I remember this was also the description on Amazon of this movie is that it features, quote, multiple storylines in a modern fairy tale tribute to the final moments of Hollywood's golden age. And that makes it sound like some sort of, like, big pastiche ensemble cast like oh, like a fucking like, uh, what, like some kind of that? crash bullshit yeah oh, well I was thinking about that what was that La La Land movie where oh, like, oh I, a big homage to I never you know, actually, Hollywood well I never actually saw La La Land but no what it made me think of is that it implies this sort of like almost um an anthology, like an almost anthology, like group of vignettes. But to me, the the actual story of this is quite tight and well plotted and specific and limited in a good way. So it's weird to me that that's the description because, and you know, the story is, and I think I, I like, especially on second viewing, it's pretty cohesive is that, Uh, Rick Dalton, who is played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who I think is fantastic in this. Um, Rick Dalton is this fading actor and he, uh, and he is living in a house right next to Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate. And he is, you know, his career is kind of on the wane. Um, and he is, you know, he's trying to make a comeback by being on different TV shows and also, Um, going to Italy to be in Spaghetti Westerns. So really, um, the movie takes place on two different days in 1969. So it takes place 
uh, in, I think, February, on, like, one or two days in February 1969, and it's sort of a day in the life of Rick and Cliff, who's his stunt double slash driver slash handyman, um, and then, um, and it also shows, so, so, oh my god, okay, <laughs> so I'm making it sound more convoluted than it is, so basically... <laughs> The movie essentially takes place on two different days, six months apart in 1969. The first day or two, it's you know, maybe a couple of days, it, it starts out with Rick talking to this agent about going and doing spaghetti westerns. Oh, played by Al Pacino. Yeah, played yeah, by yeah. Al Pacino, right. And, um, and Cliff um, and, and the two of them sort of day in the life and also... We find out that Rick lives next to Sharon Tate and um, and uh, Roman Polanski, and Sharon, and then it also follows Sharon Tate around. So we basically get sort of this little bit of all of them, and then it splits off. And this was like. This actually felt to me like an episode of a TV show. I was thinking that like Did this it, could have been like a a limited TV series. Yeah, it really thing. like the bit that's like the one day where we get to see Rick filming a TV show, yeah. Cliff driving out to Spawn Ranch with a hippie girl that he picks up as a hitchhiker who turns out to be a Manson girl, and then mm-hmm. Sharon Tate sort of going around town by herself and going to a party, um, and. Those and it sort of follows the three of them in intercuts, and that really felt like a TV show to me. But it, we were sort of introduced to these characters, and then we cut to six months later, which is the night in real life of the Tate LaBianca murders mm-hmm. um, by the Manson family. And so it's, and basically, Rick ends up. Rick and, you know, the person he is and and the type of time that he's having as an actor ends up directly affecting the outcome. Um, and, and we'll talk about that more. Now, I want to stop and say real quick what I found out about right after I finished rewatching the movie last night is that Tarantino himself wrote a novelization of this movie and I bought it on Kindle and I started oh, reading wait, it. Wait, have you finished it? Oh no, no! I started reading it last night. It's oh, like 400 pages. I got. I've gotten like half. No, I've I've read the first chapter and I finished the first chapter. It's not well written. Uh, and, I, and I look. I think Tarantino is a fantastic screenwriter. I think he's a brilliant screenwriter. But there's a difference between writing yeah. a novel is a, like writing prose is a very different skill set. And it reads like the notes in a screenplay. Like, it doesn't mm. read like a novel. Um, but it is... Is there any differentiation? So yeah, it is. It, yeah, it's very... It's it's interesting because already um, it gives more context. So, yeah. Rick... It, the first chapter is all about Rick's meeting with um, with the, the agent, um, play, Mr. Schwarz. Um, and there's much more... I feel like in the movie, he's kind of saying... Schwartz says, like, oh, you know, you're just on TV and you're playing the bad guy and they're going to... Yeah, if you look like you're getting beat up all the time, right. people are going to think... We, it's basically the the Vin Diesel, uh, the rock thing going right. that they kind of have going on now. Where it's like, oh, you can't, you can't beat me in a match right. movie. And that is in the conversation in the novel, but I feel like in the... Well, the novel, the novelization, the movie came first. In the novelization, um, the... Schwarz's 
motivation for trying to get Rick into these spaghetti westerns becomes a lot more clear. And he really drives home talking to Rick like it's not just oh, you should do this because it would be good for you. But the reason that he wants him is that he's the poor man Steve McQueen, that the Italians really want Steve uh, McQueen, but they can't get Steve McQueen, but they can get Rick Dalton. And, and it really, comes up at one point where he comes, tries to get a role that Steve McQueen Right, gets, that, yeah. that he was supposed to get, or possibly was going to get the role in The Great Escape that Steve McQueen ended up playing. Um, and in the movie, it's sort of a throwaway, and it's the, there's it's great visually because they insert Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. into The Great Escape, and it's it's a little unclear in the movie. I, I guess it's supposed to be just sort of a fantasy or a proposition because it's. Well, oh, that something... was like a fil- like they maybe like film tested. That's what I wasn't quite clear whether it was an actual film test that got made or whether it was just sort of like a possibility. I don't know. I'm still not sure. In the in the book, it's very clear that he never filmed anything and it was just a rumor. Um, but that you're the poor man Steve McQueen, you're like the shitty Steve McQueen that's more available, mm-hmm. um, is is much more driven home, and it's also and it's like the bruise to his ego is much more apparent. And Cliff also gets a lot more characterization. Um, namely that the second chapter is just Cliff being a cinephile self-insert for Tarantino. Uh And the whole chapter is like, well, Cliff really liked these directors, and he really liked this actor because of this. And it's like, okay. (laughs) Uh, But, but yeah, I I would say, um, without diving too far headlong in just yet, that the, the story is actually quite tight and specific, I think. Mm. Uh, and before we go any further, yes, spoiler alert, uh, we're going to be going into it, uh, into the specifics. So uh, if you if you, if you you don't want to get spoiled, just letting you know right now it's about to happen in three, two, late. All right, here we go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, like, as I watched this movie, I was kind of thinking about, you know, okay, so the big thing that kind of gets talked about this movie is the fact that it's doing an alternate history, like, as we know about Quentin Tarantino's, uh, you know, his his alternate history that his movies kind of live in mm-hmm. is supposed to be an alternate history as well. And so the idea is that, well, in this alternate history, you know, these grisly murders don't happen, and instead this happens. And I, like, in, a, in the grand sort of looking at the, you know, that in relation to how this plot unfolds, like, it... it, it also, like, that feels especially kind of like, okay, that doesn't really matter. But, like, just thinking in terms of just watching the movie, it also kind of feels a little like, okay, I know the point is that they didn't do it. But if as someone who doesn't really know that much about, like, the man's, mur- you know, murders, like, I'm kind of on that edge of, like, I don't really know what happened. So as I watched this the first time through, I was like, I, I was vaguely aware that Charles Manson, but I don't remember actually seeing him. So, like, did it happen? And so, like, when it gets to the point where, like, she doesn't get killed. My brain kind of goes like, and the way that kind of ends on that sweet sort of like, oh, and they're just going over to hang out at the end. It just kind of felt like, oh, right, right. They, like my brain kind of like, oh yeah, this was supposed to be about the the thing that didn't happen. And then like, if you didn't know about that, this wouldn't really even like matter. You, you yeah, know what I mean? You, like, if you don't know anything, so I 
have you know what I'm trying to say? Like yeah, we all like, know World War II I, happened, so when he makes a movie, yeah, Suburban, I, I they think, get, you know hits a little the, harder. You know, I I kind of didn't think about that because like I have read books about the Manson murders. I've like read yeah, I've listened to a lot of podcasts about it. Like I'm I'm pretty well aware, mm. and so. I cannot imagine how this movie would hit if you didn't know this. Right, movie. because yeah, like it when presumes, when yeah. when Manson shows up and he's like, "Oh, is t- I was Terry yeah, Melcher." Movie, yeah. Like, I want to talk to tell- Terry Melcher, and it's like, "Oh shit!" It's you like, know, oh. that's why he's at the house because th- that's why he sent them to the house because he thought it was Terry Melcher's house. Yeah, yeah. And like, I knew all of this stuff. Or like when they, you know, when they go up and it's like, "Oh, they're gonna do this." And right, you know what this kind of feels like? This ends up feeling like Marvel Comics movie sort of stuff mm-hmm. where it's just like, oh, if you're a nerd, oh my god, so that really means this deeper thing. And it's just like, okay, but if I'm just watching the movie, it didn't really put me yeah. in that world. It sort of presumed yeah, that if I you, would know. Yeah, if you like didn't you know? know who Terry Melcher was, if you didn't yeah. know those specific... Like, if you, you know the Beach Boys and all of the, you know what I'm saying? Like, the stuff of this specific 1969 yeah. time. So this is like, I have a lot of interest in this stuff and this period and this kind of thing happening. Mm. So I think that's part of why I enjoyed it a lot more than you did because uh, I had that like you, you that, got, that yeah. background and that So you know that what he's specifically playing in as he hits a specific Right, beat. because it's 1969, there's Sharon Tate, oh, she's pregnant, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Like, yeah. it's, you know... It, it's, yeah, it's building that, and it's ex- expecting you to, like... Because, like, when it hits the date, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of the date, oh, we all know what happens on this date, right. you know? And, and, I, like, and I will say, like, here's the thing. This alternate history would affect the timeline so much more than the events of Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Because the thing is... Hitler died. Right. The, yeah. the Allies won the war. Hitler died. So the way that it happens in Inglorious Bastards isn't going to affect history to the degree. However, it's more just like somebody gets to you know yeah. kill him before he before he you know it doesn't give him the satisfaction of killing himself. Like right. that's kind of like how now, it is. Right. The Tate LaBianca killings. So here's the thing. Um, I've seen it suggested, and I don't think that this is necessarily wrong, that Tarantino's fantasy here. So, okay, we all know Roman Polanski is a piece of shit, right? Yeah, Roman yeah. Polanski is a piece of shit. He raped a 13-year-old girl. That's yeah. why he's not in the country, right? Uh, and so, and also, Rosemary's Baby is one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah, possibly, like, one of the best, uh, you know... You could say like feminist storytelling right, super movies feminist. from, from now, a uh, Hollywood. Now, what I will say, having read the book Rosemary's Baby, I am getting some deja vu right now. I feel like maybe we've talked about I this. Feel like we I don't know. Talk about it. Anyway, so forgive me if I'm old man repeating myself. Yeah. Um, having read the book Rosemary's Baby, it is also one of the most faithful adaptations of a book I've ever seen in my life. Um, the so the credit. For Rosemary's baby being, oh, and how it, it came out the way it was, just that he was. So, so the credit the for right, the, the credit book, for right. Rosemary's baby um, being uh, being that um, incredibly uh, incredibly feminist is is credited to Ira Levin, right, not right. Uh, who's the author of the novel, not Roman Polanski. However, right. regardless, all that is to say is Roman Polanski, piece of shit child rapist, also. Amazing director and Tarantino being the cinephile he is, I've seen it suggested that, you know, in spinning this history, 
the idea is, well, if Ter- if Sharon Tate hadn't been murdered, then Roman Polanski would never have raped that 13-year-old girl, and I wouldn't have to feel bad about um, mm. liking his movies. Now, <laughs> it's quite possible that Roman Polanski would never have raped a 13-year-old girl if Sharon Tate had not been murdered. However, he was already a piece of shit. His wife getting murdered did not turn him into a piece yeah, of shit. Yeah, because like, I'm, I'm trying to process what you're saying. It's like, oh, of, if only I wouldn't have had lost my love and then would have been seeking out a young girl. Well, like, is that and, what they're trying to I, say? I did, like, well, here's the thing. So he... It's hand-waved a little bit in the movie where Steve McQueen's talking about how... Um, Steve McQueen's talking about Sharon Tate's relationship with um with uh um with Roman Polanski and also with uh Jay Sebring. Jay Sebring who is a Hollywood hairstylist who um so basically th- there's hint where Steve McQueen's talking about well she was in love with Jay Sebring, she was engaged to him, but then she broke it off and married Roman Polanski, but now they're all living together and Jay Sebring is just waiting for Roman Polanski to fuck it up and then he's gonna swoop in. So there is there's this, you know, like kind of, oh, Roman Polanski is going to fuck it up and she's going to leave him. But it wasn't just, oh, he might not be the best husband. Like, he was abusive. He physically abused mm. her. He forced her to do sex acts on oh, film. No. Um, you know, there there were, like, there was film. No, it's not like, oh, he lost his wife and then his brain just went sour. Yeah, no, so no. He it. was an abusive piece yeah. of shit to begin with. Now, granted, there's a difference between... I would say, like, there's a level of monstrosity of raping a 13-year-old girl that is beyond, you know, anything else. But, um, you know, it's, it's not like, oh, if this hadn't happened, then I could enjoy Roman Polanski's films with no question of separating the art from the artist, right? It's not like there wouldn't be any issues there. So... There's there's that. There's the question of Roman Polanski and his films and, and how you feel about that. However, here's the thing. Those murders changed the course of American history because it wasn't just about this film director and this actress, right? So what happened was the Manson family committing these murders of a beloved, you know, beloved celebrities... Well, I mean, Sharon Tate was the only one who was really, really famous, but still, like, beloved celebrity actress, pregnant, you know, very, very pregnant, horrible, you know, it was a horrible thing, and these people were hippies, right? Now... Arguably, they weren't greatly represented. Yeah, yeah. See, of and I feel like movement. what's so sucks is that they really fucked it up for but, the representation right, of what. Right. So, were, if yeah. you think of the hippie movement as being this leftist progressive movement and people who care about like feminism and race equal and racial equality and like all of that right, good right. stuff, social injustice. Right. Who care about hey, people evil. and social injustice? I was that But you know, if you if you take the the best view of hippies as being this progressive movement and then you have these people who are putting themselves out as hippies who go and do a disgusting horrible brutal murder for racist motivations um literally trying to start a race war yeah it becomes uh, i knew it all along those hippies right so that because at the end they kind of keep going like oh yeah some hippies did this thing right and so that arguably really 
led to a backlash against the progressive movement. Mm. Also, it was just a horrible, shocking thing that happened in the public eye. It led to people feeling a lot less optimistic. It was basically the end of the 60s. It was literally Mm. the end of the 60s and that it was 1969, but it was also, as many people consider it to be, sort of the end of that era. Like, as you watch the movie, I'm thinking about this too, right? Where people are just hitchhiking and it's like, it's all good. And it's like, Wow, man, this kind of starts to slow down after this, right? Like, right, and so, you know. and so, you know, whatever, like, you know, Sharon Tate would have probably gone on to make some fun movies, and Roman Polanski would, you know, have probably, <laughs> probably gotten divorced. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, would have gone on to direct more movies, and you know, in the Life best view of things, maybe would have gotten his shit together instead of becoming more of a monster. But. Beyond anything to do with them as individuals, and JC Ring would have done some more amazing haircuts, you know. Yeah. But beyond anything about them as individuals, I think that the culture would have not been impacted in the way it was. So the ending, the alternate ending, it's not just about these specific people getting spared. It's what if that dream hadn't ended just yet? What if we got to keep enjoying the 60s for mm. a little bit longer? So you know? what if, uh, uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino's final movie is actually about, like, world peace and, like, no violence happening? What if, what if that turns out? I, I, I cannot... <laughs> so, uh, you know... So here's the other thing. Here's the other thing, just jumping over to the end again... Well, I mean, we're already kind of there, but because if you're listening at this point, presumably you've seen the movie. Um, This did not occur to me until this morning, thinking about it after the fact. But um, but one of the Manson girls, um, uh, Sadie, Sadie, no, Sadie is the little black haired girl. Um, She that actress looks a bit like Quentin Tarantino. I mean, much prettier, obviously, (laughs) but, like, she looks like maybe she's, like, Quentin Tarantino's daughter or niece or something. And and the way, like, her her speech and her voice kind of remind me of, like, Tarantino's characters. So Tarantino, apart from, like, a few narration parts, he doesn't appear in the movie. You don't see him unless I'm really missing something. Was that him again? Well... I mean, obviously, that was not actually him. Like, uh, that was like a girl. But. Um, no, I mean, the narration parts. The narration was him, yeah, yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake. I'm pretty sure. Like, it's like he keeps, like, stitching his movies at, like, yeah. the last part. Like, but sorry, but here's the thing. But Sadie, like, it, like if you watch it, like, well, she looks a little bit like she could be his daughter or something. And she's like, yeah, man, just listen. You know, we grew up on the TV and we're watching murder. Oh, yeah, that was and literally like, the mouthpiece. Right, like, I was like, oh, there's Tarantino in this movie. Uh, like, Tar- there's Tarantino as a teenage girl. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that was just really funny to me. And then she's also has the most absolutely ridiculous death because she keeps running around. She looks oh like my God, it's Kermit so the Frog. Insane. She's uh, running around waving her arms and screaming, and she literally looks like Kermit the Frog. But it's like, you know, <laughs> how would you, like, how would you react if you just had, like, your whole body bit up to shit by a dog? Oh, you know what sure. I mean? Like, for sure. But no, it's just the way she's, like, yeah, running around. So mad. She literally looks like a Muppet. It's mad cat. She's the murder Muppet. Yeah. It is so fucking funny. Um, although, um, I-, I was thinking this movie, okay, so like, we're, it's supposed to be like, oh, you know, we don't actually have the Sharon Tate murder. Yeah, we're being respectable to these, you know, Hollywood legends. 
And then it keeps showing her freaking feet the whole goddamn movie. Oh my god, the feet. <laughs> like, oh my god. The feet in this movie. The this is like, feet dude. It, in this movie. This is almost and they're a movie. all dirty. Uh, yeah, they're this is almost a movie dirty. motif at this point. Like, yeah. No, they're all dirty, too. I feel like he really leaned in on, like, the dirty Yeah, thing yeah. I mean, I guess, movie. you know, it's the, it's the 60s, you know, where the brothers are not wearing right. jeans as often, you know. So, um, <laughs> so, couple of thoughts. First of all, the girl who plays Pussycat, who's the, like, really underaged hippie girl oh, that yeah, yeah. catches a ride with him. So, she looks super young, and I uh-huh. would have sworn that I remembered seeing something about she was actually, like, 15 or 16 years old when they were filming this movie. And I was like, and the camera lingers on her feet and mm. also her butt. Like, the camera mm. is up her ass crack, mm. like, all the time. And I was so uncomfortable. And then I found out that the actress was actually in her mid-20s. She's just uh, very young looking still uncomfortable because yeah. the character's underage but not as uncomfortable as if that were actually a 15 year old right, girl right, right. but yeah he's all over the dirty dirty feet in the camera in this yeah, movie yeah. and um, I, I'm so, okay I love Margot Robbie alright she is like that that chick okay but like as I'm just watching the movie she just felt so unattached to the plot in ways where like it felt like something was going to happen but then it would just keep not happening like there's a scene where like um, Brad Pitt, uh, like, jumps on the roof and he starts, like, fixing something on the roof. And then it kind of, like, kind of cuts over to her, kind of, like, throwing some records on. And I'm thinking, oh, is it going to be, like, a scene where she kind of, like, sees them? Is it going to be, like, a scene where they have a combo? Is it? And they're just like, no, no, no. And it just goes on. And it's like, yeah. Okay, so it, is she just not going to do anything? Like, you know? Yeah, as you're talking, I'm realizing more and more how much this relies on the context. Right. Because, because here's the thing for me, having, like, having so much familiarity with the story and like having I have all this emotional resonance around uh, Sharon Tate knowing what happened to her like obviously yeah. you knew the bare facts of it yeah right but like having like engaged with the story so much like for me every time I saw her was like oh my god oh my god what yeah, she did yeah. oh my god like I had this like so like but me not knowing the players or what the exact timeline right is, so I can like, see that like okay. and I did think like you know, this being only the second time I'd seen the movie, the first time was a while ago. And yeah, on the roof, like I did, was like, oh, is she going to see him? Is there going to be some connection there? And it is a little bit of a tease, but it's just kind of like, meanwhile, here's what Sharon Tate's doing. Because, yeah. again, if you care about, because here's the thing, for for if you are engaged with this, with the, the meta story, right, with the right, historical right. story... You're sitting there looking at Brad Pitt sitting on the roof of a house that you know is next to Sharon Tate going, but what's happening with Sharon Tate right now, right? So if you're, that like really depends on having that context and that meta association. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then we get to, so there's a scene where uh, Russell, um, um, oh my God, what's his last name? Russell uh, from the last movie. Russell. Who was in the last movie? Saw, uh, the actual actor's name is Russell something. Russell something. Ah, come on. He was an executive decision. What character decision. was he playing? Uh, he, he, he always kind of... He was in um, the, the Hateful Eight as the dude who was handcuffed to the uh, to the woman. What's that actor's name? Oh, oh. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> fucking Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. Oh, yeah. I was thinking, I'm sorry, I was thinking Russell. I said it was the first name thinking that I, it was the... Yeah, uh, I was thinking, that's I don't know up. why. I was, I was like, like, it's Russell something. I was like, like I picture, you, as soon as you said what character, I was like, oh yeah, Kurt Russell. But for some reason, I was trying to think Russell something, and my brain could not go there. I fucked it up. <laughs> but yeah, no, Kurt Russell, I, I liked um, his character, especially when he comes in. 
uh, talking to uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, and he's saying like, "Hey, you know, we don't want to work with the Brad Pitt stuntman." With man. Cliff, right? Yeah. And because as they reveal at this moment, like, "Hey, you know, this guy killed his fucking wife," and you know, it, it's funny. It's like Kurt Russell trying to kind of tries to like talk around it in a way to be like, hey, well, you know, we kind of just feel uncomfortable. Ah, I just kind of get a bad vibe out of it. And Leonardo's like, oh, you know, it's fine. It's like, look, okay, I talked with my wife and like, you know, we're both uncomfortable with this, okay? So we can't have this guy. You know what I mean? And so it becomes that, like, I love yeah. these little And the wife moments. is uh, Zoe Bell. Yes. <laughs> As we see I love that they just let her be Kiwi. That they yeah. don't try to, like, get her to do an American accent. She uh, just gets to be Kiwi, even if there's, like, why is this character Kiwi? I don't know. This is the 1860s in Montana. Why is she yeah. Kiwi? She just is. You know? Uh, you know, they existed. I mean, I they mean, were there. They existed. It's just, like, I feel like... Moving, what are they doing here? I feel like moving <laughs> I mean, across the globe was a lot harder back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, I mean, this is the 60s, so, you know, you could... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um... Because I kind of like how it's kind of a... Uh, um... What was my point that I was bringing up? Oh, yeah, that, like, you know, so whereas Leonardo DiCaprio is kind of, like, the the aging star who is still kind of looked at as, like, you know, the face, you know, as they bring up in the beginning of the movie where he's like, oh, you know, what do you do uh, as the... St- uh, as the stuntman, the, the movie starts with them interviewing uh, the stuntman and the main star of the show um, and saying, like, well, you know, you, you might see, think you're seeing double, but this is actually, like, it, it's because you're right. This is his stunt double, and, you know, this is kind of uh, what what he do, what does he do as his job? And you kind of hear that little line that could be kind of taken as, like, a playful jab, but also could be kind of taken as, like, a, oh, you know, like, well, I'm better than this guy. Like, oh, yeah, I do all the stunts uh, that this guy can't do. You know, I, I basically carry him around, you know. Like, I'm responsible for making him look as good as he looks, you know. Um, but later on with the movie, you kind of see, like, Brad doesn't have that much, uh, like, res- uh, w- what's the word? Um, doesn't have that much of a, like, issue with uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, like, being in the position that he's in. He actually seems to be kind of, like, cool being like, hey, I like hanging out. I like just doing my job and whatever. It's Leonardo DiCaprio's character who's, like, really just kind of takes shit to heart as the movie goes on. Well, yeah, like, I mean, and that's also, like, he's, you know, Rick is very much sort of a stereotypical, like, you know, very emotional, kind of egocentric. Yeah, fragile, I was the coolest, and everyone loved me fragile, five, you know, two years ago. Yeah, what happened, very you know? like fragile Hollywood actor, and Cliff is just a genuinely like cool fucking dude. Like yeah. he's, you know, he's a vet. He's a he's like a tough fucking stunt guy. Yeah, like he's, he can actually kick some can, ass. He can fight, and he and he doesn't like, and he doesn't have the ego of an actor. He doesn't care. He just kind of takes care of business. Yeah. Um, and I, and it, the contrast between them is really nice because it's also like the movie isn't just shitting on Rick. Like the movie yeah. doesn't shit on Rick. He's nowhere, you know. He's not cool like Cliff is, and he's flawed. But the movie doesn't. The movie's still like affectionate toward him. Yeah, yeah. So we get to the scene with uh, Bruce Lee, and I, I definitely see like a bit of what people are saying as, as the movie goes on. Um, but in in the scene, I like it as a. A character moment again like I think this movie is filled with good like character scenes where you see the guy who is like uh emulating Bruce Lee I think he does a really good job uh-huh. first of all like as you oh see yeah it, like, the actor's really good yeah 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 and in that moment where it's like you know he's saying like hey man you know this is real this is combat this is like you know what I'm saying all about like you know doing what you need to do and you know fighting his art and all that sort of stuff and um you know uh uh 
but but he like uh, Matt 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 Dean. Uh, Brad Pitt is kind of sitting there and like sort of chuckles a little bit when he when he hears that line about like oh you know I could I could turn uh, Muhammad Ali into a cripple if he faces me you know like yeah you know because I got the hands like that mm-hmm. uh, and that's kind of like a thing you used to hear a lot like oh man who could beat who you know that sort yeah, of thing yeah. and you know uh, Brad Pitt's character you know he kind of laughs a little bit uh, Cliff was his name right yeah yeah and and you know Bruce is like oh what are you laughing at Be, so, something funny to you did I say something that was funny you know like. And he goes like, nah, I just think that, you know, you kind of full of shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, that sort of thing. And so there's this moment where he says, um, where he's like, okay, you know, let's let's have a fair fight. You know, no one's trying to kill anybody. Let's just, like, go one to one to three, you know, just to see who, like, just see who's, what's what, you know. And that's the first moment where, like, immediately Bruce Lee, like, knocks him down with a massive kick. And it's just like, oh, shit, right, that's power Bruce Lee. And then, like, has the second moment where he tries to do it again, but it's, like, cut in this way where, like, you know, Brad Brad Pitt kind of, like, uses his uh, momentum against him and throws him against a, a car, basically. And so, like, yeah, that was the no- moment where I was going, like, well, like, I thought Bruce Lee's whole thing was, like, you, yo, using someone's energy against him. But I'm, like, but okay, like, whatever's the scene. And then, because then it kind of sets up, like, okay, maybe you caught me slipping. You know, like, when Lester did it. Yeah, I will scene, say you know? that it's, like, even though he throws Bruce Lee into a car, Bruce Lee... Gets thrown into a car and then basically gets right back yeah, up. Yeah, that makes a big dip, by the way. So he still comes off as pretty goddamn impressive. But yeah, it's yeah. just like, the, like, it's just weird to me because, and it's not that like, oh, if you're playing a dead, you know, a dead person, like you, you have to be like, you know, uh, it has to be hagiography. But it's weird that they set Bruce Lee up as this like kind of arrogant prick who gets oh. beaten um, and well, then, see, I was thinking about it. I guess it just for me individually. I was thinking about it in terms of like because we do kind of have this mythos of him being like you know a perfect man, you know, and it's like there is sort of that level of like actors having like that bit of ego, which you gotta have to have if you're like you know what I'm saying yeah. coming into the game. Like in his whole deal being like, no, there is no stuff, man. It's just me. Of course, mm-hmm. I'm gonna look better than all of these guys in the industry who just like yeah. you know do a leap and then like get someone else to come in for them. And so like. I don't know, I was kind of thinking, like, as I was watching, I was thinking on that level of, like, as someone who, like, kind of idolizes Bruce Lee and that, like, he's this awesome guy kind of way, but it's like, but no, it's not like he's a perfect person who's never, like, you know, done any, you know what I'm saying, never been imperfect, you know? That's what I was just kind of looking at as I was watching, and, like, and so as a movie, yeah, you're not going to paint them as this completely infallible, you know, being, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just, I think, like, um, beyond... Just even if we like pretend he wasn't a real person, just think of him as a character for a second. It's weird because the we see him twice more in the movie. Once when he is, it's flashbacks yeah. to him teaching Sharon Tate the choreography for the Wrecking Crew. Which yeah, is, and I like that. I like that showing that like this is me, you know, having to do the very basic things, and you see how it plays out in the movie because I like how they did that sort of like as she's in the scene where she's fighting some, like, Chinese girl because, you know, they have to have the cat yeah. fight in these old, old movies. And it's, like, these really weak scenes and somehow this white woman overtakes this Asian, you know, girl who mm. probably has more training. But then, like, you flash back to the, oh, of course, it's this Chinese man who had to train her to do as right. good as she was he, even doing in the movie. Like, the, so I like that sort of element of, like, yeah. here's the truth, And, he, and you know? he and Bruce Lee really was the, the fight choreographer on The Wrecking Crew, I believe. Um, and then we also yeah, see yeah. him teaching Jay Sebring martial arts later, um, which I, I don't know if that ever happened or not, or if yeah. that was just invented. But, um, but it felt a little sort of incongruous. Like, like I said, in general, I feel like the plot's really tight. But the 
that bit of like flashback, it also confused me, I think, the first time I saw it because we see a pit on the roof and we hear an echo of Leonardo DiCaprio saying, oh, this person doesn't want to work with you. And then he's thinking about it and it flashes back to the explanation of why that guy doesn't want to work with him. Mm. But it was a little confusing to me at first, like what the timeline was. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, so I... Yeah. You know, well, I, I don't know. That wasn't my favorite part. I didn't hate yeah. it, but that was... I feel like that was the part that was at least a little confusing for me and didn't feel like a really yeah. solid... And I think later on in the movie, like, that, that scene where he's, like, training with the other guy and the guy looks like he's kind of getting hits in on him. Now, I, I think maybe some people might have taken issue with that, like, over a little montage where it was happening where, like, someone was getting hits in on Bruce Lee with the training thing. But I was thinking for that would be like, oh, no, this is Bruce Lee... Pulling his punches, training right, with this guy he that he can letting, obviously take down, so he's got to like. Yeah, be a I don't think. Cool, it, I mean, you know what I mean? Like that was where he was sparring with Jay Sebring, right? Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I read that as he's he's kind of letting him do that. Yeah, he's of teaching course. him. Not yeah, that, yeah, yeah. It's like if he just unleashed like all of his ability on someone who's still training, that would just be not fair. <laughs> like, yeah. what am I paying you for? Just to get my ass? Yeah. Like, no. The point is that you're training me to be a better fighter. Yeah, yeah. Um... So, like, I just felt like, like, as I'm watching, like, things felt like they made as much sense as they could if you're trying to, like, not just completely do a, yeah, hey, geographic, you know, everyone was a perfect person. But, like, like I said, as I, as we watch that scene play out, it looks like there's about to be a round three where, like, it looks like Bruce Lee is actually having that moment of, okay, I'm not playing around. Right, <laughs> I'm not right, you. Like, yeah. and so, like, there was that level of, Maybe actually those first few rounds, maybe it was him going light on him because I thought, oh, this this American dude, I'm about That's to true. show That's up real point. quick. Yeah, 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 and then oh, you got me in the second round. Oh, okay, no, 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 you know, I got to do that again because right before it happens. Um, that's when that's when yeah. uh, Kurt Russell and <laughs> Zoe what the Bell hell are you doing? and Zoe Bell come in and, and are like, no, 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 stop this, you know, yeah, and tearing up the lot. And yeah, what I love about that scene is that him saying like, you know, he says, uh, he, uh, uh, he says, uh, what, I, yeah, what I really like about the interact interaction is that like, you know, um, she says like, oh, you're beating the shit out of Bruce, my, you know, star. Why the hell are you beating the shit out of, uh, you know, my my co-star here? And like Bruce tries to deny it, you know, mm -hmm. by being like, oh. Hold on a second, like nobody beats the shit out of me. Uh, but then, like, you know, Brad Pitt goes like, oh, but that uh wrecked car over there shows otherwise, you know? So it's like, oh damn, there's actual proof that like he actually got me. You know what I mean? Like in the car over there. But what's funny is that like, you know, Zoe Bell, who doesn't give a shit about any of their egos, is just trying to make a show right now. She's like, yo, you, you, oh, so here's the proof. You threw my fucking ghost star into the car, and that's my fucking car. Like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. You know? So, like, she doesn't care about what's happening. She just wants to get the production done. And she's looking at this going like, yo, you're the lower status person. You piece of shit. You beat up my car, and I, I, I care about my actual star, star here. Meanwhile, the actual star is like, no, he didn't need to beat me up. I, you know, I just like that little dynamic yeah, that's that happening. Was, that was pretty... <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. Like I can appreciate that, like you know, dramatic moment there happening of like him not wanting to like own up to ever like catching any you know catching any hands, but at the same time having to admit that something did happen. So you know, and and if we recounted this tale later, maybe some people might not want to include some details for the sake of their own ego. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, so I like that kind of moment and how it played out. Um, but what were you gonna say? Oh, just um, just wanted to share like a funny thing that I hadn't realized. So Bruce Stern is in the movie as George Spawn. He is such a great angry old man. Like yeah. Bruce Stern is just so good. But I wasn't sure exactly what was happening. Maybe you can help me out with how how the scene was happening, right? Um 
when we get to it. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. Because, oh, what were we going to say? No, 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 go ahead. Um, well, oh, okay, so, like, because what happens first is uh, Leonardo hangs out with that, that child actress mm-hmm. who, at first, I was kind of, like, annoyed at the acting because I was like, oh, my God, here's this, you know, like, young actress that they always play them, like, too smart for their own good. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're just like, well, a kid, would a kid really, like, act like that? You know, would they really, like, be that... But I was also thinking, like, hey, you know, kids have to grow up fast in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I get it on a certain level, right? But then what I liked about how, again, how the scene played out, again, I think it's, like, a really good scene because it's, like, it first starts off being, like, she seems like a very mature for her age type of girl. And he kind of seems immature up to this point. You know, this guy who's dealing with his whole ego and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, but as the scene plays out, he tells her about, uh, he tells her about, like, uh, you know, the book that he's reading, because they're talking about a book or something like that. And he starts going on about, like, you know, the character in the book who is this, you know, this uh, cowboy who can't hack it anymore and isn't Mm -hmm. as great as his old days and that sort of thing. And, like, he kind of starts really breaking down because, you know, he's thinking about how that applies to his life. And the girl comes over to try, you know, to try to console him and be like, hey, you know, like, dang, that must be a really sad book, you know? And what's funny is that, like, the maturity that we assume that the girl has and that he doesn't in the moment of, like, you know, being able to just, like, be a good, like, actor on set and that sort of thing, we kind of see, like, the flip of that emotionally in terms of, like, this girl can't comprehend why this story wouldn't just be like, oh, this is just a sad story, but, like, oh, this is reflecting on me. This is, like, what I am right now, and I'm, like, it's reflecting me so I'm feeling so seen by this book you know that like I can't help but cry and this girl like doesn't understand it. she just thinks man that book must have been really freaking sad to make you cry like yeah. that you know what I mean like so yeah, it's showing like that know, emotional development that she doesn't have on that level you know right, like yeah um but uh but but I was saying yeah the Bruce Dern is in this because he plays George Spawn um the guy who owns Spawn Ranch yeah but then in real life Bruce Dern played um, business Bob on Lancer, and so Scoop McNary, whom I love, he has the best name. Scoop McNary is mm. really good in Halt and Catch Fire. Scoop McNary is Business Bob in the movie, who's played by Bruce Dern in real life. So Scoop McNary is playing Bruce Dern. Oh, I see. And Bruce Dern is also in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's just neat. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what were you saying uh, you didn't understand about the Spawn Ranch scene? Okay, so, um,. Well, dang, because there's a couple things before it gets to oh, that. Oh yeah, sorry. Uh, Go ahead. Back, back up, back yeah, up. Yeah, We're yeah. getting all over the place. Because uh, I'm saying, like, what I'm, what I'm kind of like taking as I watch the movie. Because I, I, I do want to give it its props, especially on this front. Mm-hmm. The scene where it like kind of slowly fades into as if the um, the old cowboy western is actually happening in real life. Mm-hmm. You know, like, in front of you, you know, like, you see someone kind of riding past some lights, and it's like, oh, okay, we're, we're on the set of the movie, this isn't, you know, really happening, we're, like, in the middle of a take. And then it kind of just goes over to, like, someone walking, and then it just kind of feels like it's transitioning into, oh, we're here now, this is actually happening. And I love how it actually gives you that feel of, like, as you're watching it, it it's in color now, but this is, basically feels like one of those Western TV shows and how the plotting would be, and how they would kind of, like, you know, play it out, you know what I mean? And so I'm like, and, and like, maybe I'm, uh, maybe I'm, like, you know, overthinking it, but, like, it feels like it does it without a bit of the camera tricks that he can kind of modernly do now. It felt a little bit more basic in its presentation, and how, like, you know, like, when it, you saw the person who's all the way up there that, like, calls down to him, you know, in, in the modern uh, version of that movie, he would be able to do the quick zoom up and to be able to see that person, but it kind of feels like, no, they kind of don't have that. You can, you can kind of hear the larger echo because the microphone's farther away, and they're just kind of going like, yeah, you can come on in, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it, 
feels like a very no frills in how they're showing it where it'd be like, no, this is actually how they play out. But now we're in color because it felt kind of jarring in that way that um, the other movies, whenever he would do like a style parody, kind of felt a little jarring with like, um, what was I thinking of? Uh, I was thinking that the the death proof movie, I think that he did where there was kind of like a style parody that he was doing of those, you know, 70s, yeah. like... The 70s grindhouse Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, where you kind of feel wh- where, what he's doing, but it doesn't really, like... In that movie, it felt like it was just for its own sake, whereas when it happens here, it feels like, well, we're trying to really put you in the... Because you, you, we're breaking the fourth wall in terms of, like, you know, uh, being on one side and being on the other side in terms of, like, the reality of what's happening. Like, the movie starts with... Hey, this is a, a you know at the end of an episode, and someone's actually like doing a video where it's artificial, and we're having an interview with someone. You know what I'm saying? And then there's moments where it's like this scene where it's like, oh, but are we actually in an episode right now? Is it actually just happening right now? And then he fucks up one of the two of the lines, and it's like, and it pulls you out of it in a genuine way where you're like, oh wait, uh, my brain was like thinking of this narrative yeah, when I was watching this, but, but oh wait, he's messing it up. It, right? This is just yeah. Person, it's you know, it's like, really cool how it, it does feel like. Like, at first, you almost feel like you're seeing the finished product, except that it doesn't have the, the black and white. Or yeah, the, or yeah, the yeah. Grainy. I thought yeah. that was really no, cool. No, that was, that was a very cool effect. Like, it, it almost reminds me of, um, of, of, like, experimental theater, of that experience of, like, it getting really drawing you in and then breaking it. Yeah, so. and I like how, like, it keys you into, you know, his frustration, like, honestly, as someone who's, you know, trying to do his job, you know what I'm saying? Like... And, like, fucking it up and, like, you know, hitting himself and cursing at himself and being like, oh, damn it, you know, you fucked it up again. You're just showing how worthless you are. You know, beyond just, like, oh, this is just a superstar. Of course, he doesn't have any real problems and he's just complaining. It's like, no, that is frustrating when you, like, you think that you're good at something and then you're fucking it up. And, you know, you're doing it in front of a whole bunch of cameras that, well, this could have been the best take, but then you did that. You know, like, that is a lot of pressure. You know what I mean? Um, And, uh, let me see... Yeah. Oh, and and so we we get to the next scene where Brad Pitt is going about his day, and you know, again, this is thing where people just used to pick up people randomly, not knowing what the fuck they had in their purses or bags, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but he picks up the uh, the girl who's like clearly not eighteen yet. Um, but what I did like is that he like clearly rejects her. Like she tries to like just kind of go in with a. Hey, uh, she, she kind of starts off going like, oh, we all know what I am. I'm the hippie girl that everyone, you know, uh, comes into town and has a great story about because she's this cool girl that shows you around town. And like, but he's like, well, I'm actually, you know, a bit of, I've, I've been around town. I've been here for like over a decade, you know, so I know this place is not a big deal to me. And she's like, oh, okay. And then she just, so she just kind of like cuts through the chase of like, so you want me to blow you while you drive in? And he's like, uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need to know who you are, ma'am. Yeah. You know, like, I like that, you know, he has that, like, sets that clear boundary. But then as I'm no, like, as I'm saying, like, well, this guy's being a, like, good older man, but I'm also like, but it is the guy that killed his wife, like, you know? Yeah, like. I feel like, and the, the cutoff, it's weird. I don't, I'm not sure what purpose it's supposed to serve because it's like, oh, he killed his wife. I guess because it's like everybody knows he killed his it feels wife. feels so jarring. So he's like. got this, like, you know, like, he's he's controversial and he's dangerous. Yeah. And then the cutoff, the, the cutaway 
his wife is horrible and is screaming at him, like standing on the edge of a boat, screaming at and insulting and berating him. And so I guess we're, and we never really see him kill her, but I think we're supposed to assume that she basically drove him to it and deserved it. But it's like such a thing where she's so not even being that annoying, where it's just like, like it plays it for a joke moment. Like if it's like, oh, my wife is so annoying and like that would have been fine, but it's like, oh, and we're, she, he kill, he presumably kills her after yeah, it, that. Yeah, it does. Like, yeah, it's like, okay, she's awful, but, like, just divorce her. Like, don't... Yeah, like, what, what in the world? You know, so, um, yeah, that was, like, a weird... That was weird, and I don't know what purpose it was supposed to... The whole thing was supposed to serve, really. Yeah. Um, like, they could have cut that, because it just... It just it just feels too jarring and it, it just feels like and to what it, like like remember we were talking before it was like I'm not saying you can't do a movie about like something that's grisly or dark but it's like you know uh, uh, tell the best version of telling that story right like and with this is like if you're going to include it you have to do it well and it just feels like for this it just feels like why was that there if that really has no bearing on his because he seems like a pretty chill dude for most of the movie like you know what I mean like is the idea that it was a rumor. Because it's, everyone seems pretty freaking sure that he did it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I just wanted to say about the actress um, Sarah Margaret Qualley, who plays the, uh, Pussy the hippie, yeah Pussycat. Um, I really like. She's so good because I mean, she just looks young. That's just you know the way she looks. But she plays her in such a way that I had a really hard time believing. I think what it was is I think she was about 25 when um, they were filming this. And because my brain refuses to accept that the 90s was 30 years ago. um, I, I was like, oh, she was born in 1994. So she's 15 in 2019. She was 25. If she'd been born in 2004, she'd be 15. But yeah, I think I think it was that. But also she just, like, her whole demeanor is so, like, yeah, of course this kid's not 18. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And he sees that, so it's like, okay. So And that was because I thought the actress was really that young. It was like, okay, so it's like, yay, good for you, Cliff. Don't, don't take advantage of the child. Mm-hmm. Good for you. But also that camera's up her butt crack. Yeah, yeah. Um... But so so he takes he takes her to the spawn ranch basically, and there's this whole thing where all of the people there are kind of like being wishy washy about letting him in. Like, oh well, he's sleepy. Oh well, he wouldn't want to see. Yeah, I wouldn't say they're being wishy washy. They're being um, really. So they're they're being. um, It's very ominous. The whole the whole uh, mood. It's like a mini horror movie at the spawn ranch because. They're everybody, it's like, it's all these hippies. It's like this children of the corn vibe where they're all just standing there kind of staring at yeah, him. Yeah, mostly women. Um, mostly yeah. women. They're all just kind of staring at him. Lena Dunham, for, I did not, I I can't fucking stand Lena Dunham. Like, oh, was that Like that most was? people. Yeah, she's I, quite annoying. I can't stand Lena Dunham. And I feel like she just really took me out of it because you've got all these hippies who look like they belong there and they're just staring and then you've got Lena Dunham who doesn't look like anything but Lena yeah. Dunham wait was she the one that was up. being like she was the one saying like oh you can go in there but I focus brains out so was no that that's Squeaky Fromm who was Dakota Fanning 
Oh. So I thought it did a good job, although uh. she was a little one note in times, but yeah, no, yeah. no, no, but like fucking, so Lena Dunham shows up. What did she do? She was just this minor like family member, but she shows up early on. She's like outside and she's wearing a muumuu and she's like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. and it's just, she just like, I can't fucking look at her and see anything but fucking Hannah Annoying from girls. Privileged. Uh, right. yeah. It's just like, and she just doesn't. Like, she just completely takes away from the ominous, scary hippies vibe. Mm. But everybody else is like, okay, you've got these, like, creepy hippies staring at him. And Brad Pitt's, like, you know, this cool older dude in a Hawaiian He's never minding it. Like, just kind of going like, all right, well, you know, just sort of like, I'm noticing what's happening, but, like, They're all trying to intimidate him. He's not, he's not being intimidated. Um, And they, so, so he. Okay, so how does this unfold? Because. As a, like, okay, so basically what I was thinking was, oh, as I'm watching the scene, I'm thinking like, oh, either George is dead or he's been like manipulated by Charles right. Manson or something is happening with it. But it just kind of seems like he just has a bunch of chicks there and he's partially blind. Well, yeah, okay, so in the, so the, I think it is. Like, it seemed like something was supposed to happen, well, but it just kind of didn't. I think it's intentional that you're supposed to, like, so he goes in. Squeaky Fromm and some of the other hippies are sitting around watching TV. The house is filthy. There's a rat actively yeah, and a trap. dying like, yeah, so, a trap. And that's the thing I was saying. Like, oh, maybe this guy's not in his right mind. You know, no one's clearly cleaned up in a long time. Right. There's a whole bunch of food out. I was thinking it was going to be like, he's really lo- out of his cabeza. And maybe uh, Charles Manson is taking advantage of him. Right. Like, well, I thought there was going to be something it, going on. I mean, well, I think what's going on is he is disabled. He's blind. Um, and he's gone blind, so it's not like he had his whole life to get used to it. Um, that he's he's recently gone blind. He's old. He's got all these like he's got Squeaky from sexually manipulating him. Charles Manson is presumably manipulating him. Yeah. So in real life, George Spawn did get manipulated into letting the Manson family live on his ranch. Okay. Um, and so that is what was happening. Yeah, okay. and so I think like it's ominous, and we are like that's one where if you don't know the ins and outs of everything, yeah, it just kind of feels like. Oh, like, I, I thought it was like, oh my god, either this guy's the mastermind, or he you're gonna but, see it obviously happening, and then it's just yeah. kind of like. Oh, oh, okay, it is it? Well, then what's happening? I think it's just supposed to be sort of unsettling that, like, he goes in and, like, okay, he's not dead, he seems to be okay. Yeah, but they really don't want me to talk to him for some reason. Like, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, they really keep trying to deter me from talking to him, but then she finally lets up, and then he just kind of talks to him. And it's like, oh. oh, Yeah, well, because, you know, the other thing to keep in mind is that these people were not thinking rationally. Oh, uh, that is true. Were, yeah, that's what I think as I'm watching the movie, like, there is the reality of, like, you know, murderers, especially people of this ilk, are not, like, these masterminds right. who are plotting and, everything. The thing is, They're just kind of like, I don't know, like, I, yeah, someone, and, they told us what to do and we just kind of did it. Well, and specifically with the Manson family, like, Charles Manson fed them acid constantly. Ugh. Like, Charles Manson was constantly giving these people acid and was fucking with their heads. Like, none of these Where people... Where the hell was he getting it from? It's the sixties. They were in California. Uh, was, you know. But yeah, like I, I mean, and he was friends with um Oh with, yeah, and he was friends with, like Beach Boy. He had music connections, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like no, like, you know, Charles Manson was like very much keeping them off their rockers. So and and training them to be paranoid and training them like we're gonna start this race war and kick off the apocalypse and all this stuff. So 
It's not that they have a rational reason for wanting to stop Cliff from talking to George Spahn. It's that they are just instinctively mistrustful. And this was, again, why, like, Lena Dunham just irritated me so much in this was because she just shows up and she's just like, okay, hi, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's like she didn't have that vibe that all the other ones have of, like, being really hostile and distrustful and, like, um, the, the male hippie who knifes Cliff's car and then giggles about it and then Cliff beats the shit out of him and makes him change the tire. Uh, That was so sad. I think, here's the thing, and I gotta, like, I feel like I have to pause real quick because this is, like, this movie, if it works on you, it works on you because you're going, yeah, fuck those fucking hippies. Uh, But it's like, is that what we should be doing? You know what I mean? But here's the thing, and it's important to keep in mind, like, and I know... I know some, like, genuine old hippies who are lovely, lovely, lovely people. Right. I do not hate all hippies. However, the Manson type of hippie... Yeah. Um, it was a very white the, privilege. Well, right. Like, literally vein. white supremacists. Yeah, yeah. And, but it was just like, oh, none of these systems that, you know, make me feel bad that are the old school oppressive. We still have white people and me on top, but just without that system, yeah. then, you know, but, like... But also, like, I think the thing that is, at least for me, that is just so in the type of hippie that makes you want to watch them get their face beat in <laughs> on Dragnet, <laughs> right? Like, what is so irritating about them? I have this theory. Here's why people hate hippies. Everybody hates hippies, right? Okay, okay. Like, like, come on, people hate hippies, mm. right? The reason people hate hippies is because think about a hippie. What does a hippie say? Chill out, man. Chill out, just chill out, man. Just chill, right? And what does everybody hate hearing? Don't worry, than, be happy. Like, yeah. Calm down. What are the two <laughs> words to say to anybody to piss them off more than anything in the world? <laughs> calm down, calm invalidating down. your feelings. Oh, calm down. Right. No, it's and not. So or, yeah. Hippies. And again, speak, I don't actually hate all hippies, but in terms of the type of hippie that really fucking pisses you off, even without them being white supremacist murderers. No, but it's, it's that college that, hippie, you know. It's that like, like, calm down, man. Just chill out, man. You just need to expand your mind, man, and listen to children. Everyone man. just needs to do some acid and everything right. will be fine, man. And I think, and specifically people in cults, there's also, there's a really good movie, and I may have mentioned it on the show before, called uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene. Um, uh, which is, it's a more, it's about a more modern hippie commune cult, but it's this, it's somebody who feels really fucking superior to the people they leech off of. Mm. Somebody who like mm. leeches off of other people, leeches off of the squares. Oh, I get what you're saying. But feels really superior to like them. the the like in hair. Like, like okay, as much as I like hair, that is a movie about like the hippie movement and how like their ideology is great. Within that, there's still the people that are still kind of like, but wait a minute, what about you though, as a person? Like with Burger, who's like, oh, you know, my parents are squares and all that shit, but I'm still gonna borrow some money. Right. From them. Well, like, okay. It's, <laughs> right. It's that kind of like it's it's that you know again even without like being murderous it's that like hey man you just don't need to be square and just don't, don't be like working your nine to five don't work your nine to five man in the great fan of suit hey, 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly like that is like what that is, does exist it's yeah. so fucking infuriating and so like 
if you have that deep well of hatred <laughs> for that type of bullshit hippie smugness, mm. it makes it a lot more satisfying. Mm. Um, but yeah, oh, uh, just to highlight it, there's a specific scene where... And also somebody he, fucking giggling at you when... Yeah, you the know, way he's like... <laughs> look, like this dude's clearly high off his ass. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, uh, whining like a horse. Uh, yeah, know. James Landry Hebert as Clem. But yeah, it was a it, it was a good moment to see it. Like when he just like because you know, he clearly stabbed his tire, and so he was like, "All right, you're gonna fix that because that ain't even my car." So you know, I'm not gonna come back to him with a messed up car. And he's like, "No, oh, fuck you, man!" And he just hauls off, cracks him one in the face, and then like pulls him up by the hair like it's a fucking broomstick, and yeah. cracks him. Up. He's like, he goes yeah. like, "Ladies, you know, I, just be I like, will, I will say this like, movie has some serious Tarantino level violence. Yeah. There's not. It's very, it's very much like." Fist level of yeah, I, I don't think it. Act, I don't even think it actually gets too like yeah big like except for the last it moment in this scene, scene right here. I think there's not a lot of like it's very knockdown like, drag out. It's well, it's a lot of it's a lot of skin to skin violence. Yeah. And I will say, Cliff does a lot of things in this movie that in real life would would murder would like kill somebody like if you actually did the things and he does end up killing somebody while he's high off his ass. Oh yeah, he yeah, that's killing the specific point. Yeah, but um. um but yeah, uh, uh, yeah, th- that's what this, he says right before he leaves. Like, you know, I just want to make sure these dangerous hippies ain't taking advantage of you. And in you know, his his friend responds, "What squeaky? She loves me, so suck on that." Yeah. And, and now, now that you've said that, that makes sense of like, oh, she's manipulating him, and that's him responding and being like, "No, I'm, I'm, we're totally in love." Like, because it's like, why would you be so defensive? I haven't seen you in eight years. What are you, what are you getting at me for? You know? Yeah. Um. But yeah, oh yeah, she, so the one girl climbs on top of the guard, she was like, George isn't blind, you're the blind one! Which is <laughs> such fucking bullshit hippie yeah. shit to say. <laughs> um, and, and then they all start like booing and cheering it, and it's like, yeah. how cool does he look? How cool does Brad Pitt look just striding along, not even giving a shit while all these hippies are like, meh, right, right. at him. Uh, and then just, uh, what, okay, and, and, so what happens there afterwards, because it's like, after that punch happens, uh, one of the girls runs off to get a dude who's on a horse, and they're like, oh, okay, we're gonna go Austin over there. Austin Butler. Yeah, but... He recently played Elvis, which I didn't oh, realize until looking back, nice. he looks so different in this. But he comes over, and then, like, by the time he comes over, the car's already been, uh, the flat's already been changed, and he drives off, right? Uh-huh. So what, was there something that was supposed to happen there, like... I think they just wanted the man to come in case... You know, like... He's causing more trouble? Yeah. Because oh, okay. Clem was clearly useless. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, okay. And then, so, uh, I, I have this moment. I have this note right here where I go, um, hour and 58 minutes into the movie, a narrator comes in. Who the fuck is this? But Tarantino does that. Like, how many of his movies have he has he done where you get, like, an hour, an hour and a half into the movie, and then all of a sudden there's a random narrator? Two. It's this one and the other one. <laughs> Hateful Eight. Oh yeah, and and uh, Inglorious Bastards. Hateful Eight and Inglorious Bastards. But this this is a very relatively recent motif because that didn't happen in like Jackie Brown or Reservoir Dogs or anything like that. This just yeah, feels like... I, I guess yeah, I guess you're right. But yeah, it's not it's not unprecedented. I will yeah, say. But it's just like for me, I, like my problem with like anytime I hear like a narrator come out of nowhere, my brain automatically goes like, "Who is this?" 
who is he talking to? Why did it start just now? Yeah, like, it is when, a little jarring. <laughs> you know, it is a little jarring. Yeah, because like, okay, if if it the movie had started that way, if it started with him saying "Once Upon a Time in Hollywood" and did, you know what I'm saying? That you don't question the narrator as much. But when it's just like we've gone through almost the length of a whole movie, and now someone else is coming in, it kind of my brain automatically goes to. Uh, did you need to cobble some stuff together? You know what I mean? Like, did you need to... But the thing is, it feels like the things that he's saying are things that I think we already kind of had explained. Because the things that he starts saying is like, oh, he did... Uh, 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 Leonardo DiCaprio's character goes to uh, Ro- Rome and does the, well, you know, I, uh, I uh, will uh, spaghetti say, westerns. And yeah. then he kind of gets his girlfriend. I, I was like, okay. I will say that I feel like it didn't bother me that much because... So, again, the movie takes place basically on two separate day or two day long periods, six months apart. So, we've got the one, like, really tight day or two in early 1969. uh, And, you know, we've got all this stuff happening. And that we've got all this stuff happening within about 48 hours. And then there's a six month period where we're getting kind of summary, 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 summary. I just like to get you up to speed. And then it's the day six months late. It's the day of the murders six months later. And so that, um, I guess, yeah, I feel like it works to kind of have the narration sort of bridging that gap. I guess it just feels like, like when I think about the other movies with the, where the narrative happens. Uh, and Inglorious Passes, first of all, I mean, it's Samuel L. Jackson, so you're just going to want to hear him talk anyway. Uh, but it fits in, like, him trying to narrate something. It's just for, like, a couple of seconds, so he, like, can talk about this point. And the other movie, it's, like, for the setup of, uh, in Hateful Eight, it's about for the setup of, okay, so you might have missed something, and now let's give you the backstory on who these characters are, and so now to bring you up to Like, that, I, like, as I look back, I'm like, oh, that actually narratively works. I feel how it's trying to do that. With this, it just kind of feels like, did you just not know how to just do a montage here? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just feels like where... The, and then if it would have been that one, it would have been fine. But then it, like, sporadically comes back two other times where it's like, what's happening right now? Like, it really feels like it's stitching something together, mm. you know? In a way that just feels jarring to the rest of it. In that way where I was just kind of, like, having a moment like, yeah, 2019... Why isn't this just like a long form, yeah. you know, miniseries or something like that, so I, that we can just kind of like illustrate Although, I mean, these different Tarantino moments. is such a cinema person sure. that even though I mean, I love TV, I really, in general, as a medium, I love limited series more than movies. But okay. I can't. I feel like Tarantino is just such a movie guy; it's his thing. Yeah, you, I, you know, like if you know what it would have been if it there was like an intermission or something like that, and then it kind of comes back and like, so here's what's happened. You know, if they would have like worked that in a more direct way. Oh, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, sorry, I was <coughs> mistaken. I was mistaken. Kurt Russell oh, was the narrator. I totally thought that was Quentin Tarantino. It was Kurt Russell was the narrator. Wait, wait. It says an extended cut released theatrically. No, no, no. Included an appearance by James Marsden and a voiceover by Walton Goggins. Yeah, but. Oh, but Kurt Russell. Oh, yeah, I thought that was his voice. So then I was kind of like, why him? Like, because he's not really that related to what's happening in the movie. Yeah, I don't think he's supposed to be Randy Lloyd. I don't think he's his character as the narrator. Yeah, but it's like, I clearly can tell that it's not like he's doing a different voice or something. I guess it wasn't, I don't know. Maybe I don't have as good an ear for that because I thought, I totally thought that was Tarantino. Um, real, Real quick, apparently Harley Quinn Smith is in this. Is one of the hippies oh, on Spawn Ranch. I did not. I so Harley told, Quinn and Harley Quinn Smith is in this. Oh my god! <laughs> and I also want to say this, like way back in the beginning part of the movie when um, we see Sharon Tate. There's this. So 
All right. So when we have the cut to um, Rick appearing instead of Steve McQueen in um, in The Great Escape, and they do this phenomenal job of cutting him in, they also cut him into a few old TV shows. Like mm. they do just such a good job of doing that, and then very intentionally. And I think it's so great that they did, so that it comes across as so clearly intentional rather than a oh we just didn't know how to do this when. Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate goes to see the Wrecking Crew. It's Sharon Tate. It's actually Sharon yeah, Tate yeah, and the yeah. Wrecking Crew. They didn't cut Margot Robbie into it because, you know, they're not going to cut the murder victim out of her own movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought that was really lovely that they did that. And I also thought it was kind of funny that they sort of lampshade it because nobody recognizes her and she keeps right, like right. having to explain, like, I'm the girl in the record. Yeah, because they're like, oh, maybe you should and take a picture next to the, the poster so we can tell it's Right, you. and they're all kind of like looking at her funny and like, you're, th- you're that girl? Which uh, girl so it, that was kind of funny that they did that. Because she does look, she looks enough like Sharon Tate that it's not jarring. Yeah, yeah. Because I, like, I still believed it as I was watching it, you know. Right, like, like it's Although just she's like, wearing the big 60s right, glasses, so it's, so like, it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's I didn't even think about that yet. She puts on this really big pair of glasses yeah, towards yeah. the movie, and I didn't think about that a bit. It's like, yeah, it's like hiding her face so that it's not quite so jarring seeing the, like, two different faces that are supposed mm-hmm. to be the same Because she's wearing glasses in the movie as well. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I thought that was, I thought that was very lovely. And, um... So uh, we get to the the scene where um, Charles Manson tells them what what are what are his instructions like because is it like go to the old house and kill everyone in there was that just it so we only see Charles Manson once yeah at the beginning we, we only see him very briefly when he shows up to ask if Terry Melcher's home and then kind of walks off um, which I really like because you know it's it's always nice when a monster who's been too mythologized gets given intentionally short shrift. I appreciate mm, that. Mm. Um, so we just see... Yeah, they don't play text. it with, like, this man in his den of women, like, concocting plans. Like, no, he's not that yeah, deep. Like, so yeah, so Tex, Sadie, Katie, and then another uh, Manson family member called Flower Child... Mm-hmm. Um, I'll roll up in a car and they're talking about it and they're and one of them uh, one of the girls uh, was talking about basically how they justify it again these people are just talking themselves in circles but like you know kind of making a half of an ass of a well that's what I thought like- was so funny that Sadie really gives the like Tarantino cameo speech and she I, I've got to we gotta kill the people who tell us to kill man right they live Mikey, here man and we need to cut off their dicks and shove them in their mouths man yeah like okay so Mikey Madison very very yeah she's really I love, yeah, I love her bit she's a very very pretty young woman um She's a very pretty young woman. I'm not saying she actually looks like Quentin Tarantino, but she looks like if Qu- Quentin Tarantino were a pretty girl. Like the way like, she act, the way, and especially the way that she's And it's she, like, like she's like, got like his mannerisms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm convinced that that was very intentional somewhere along the line. But yeah, so Sadie is bringing up like, because they, they, well, what happens is they drive up and they've got this really loud fucking car with no muffler on it. Oh, yeah. And, and really. Rick has just gotten back from Italy from filming all his spaghetti westerns and he's had to fire Cliff because he doesn't have enough money. So he and Cliff are going to have a good old drunk and say goodbye to each other. So Cliff and Rick are in the house and Rick is, you know, I think they did drunk. a lace with acid or something. That happens later. But uh, Rick is drunk off his ass and he comes outside and he's like yelling at him like, get the fuck, 
would you fly a fucking car and get out of my street? Blah, oh, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And he's like, get in their face and screaming at them. And they're just kind of shocked and drive off. And then Tex goes, wait a second. Wait a second. That's Jake Cahill from Batty Law. I had a lunchbox. Like, yeah, and, yeah. and they're kind of laughing about that. And then Sadie's like, wait a second. Like, we all watched all these murders on TV. These they taught us to kill. Yeah, yeah. They taught us to kill. And now we need to kill them. And so... Either before or rather than going to kill uh, everybody in the Tate house, they go to, um, and, and again, in real life, what happened was they went in and killed Sharon Tate and her, her you know, almost born baby and Jay Sebring and, um, and two of their other friends. Um, but they decide that either first or instead of they're going to go in and kill yeah, because uh, he, he the the guy starts talking about it. Yeah, it was like, oh, I right. had a lunchbox, and like so that's when the conversation kind of twists that way. So they're like, yeah, let's get this guy. They're first. gonna go kill Rick, and so they go into the house. Rick is like out in the pool with big headphones on. It's like that uh-huh. headphone gag of he's like out there drunk with a pitcher of margaritas and big headphones. And yeah, yeah. Um, but Rick is out there in the pool. Uh, oh, and, and one of them says, like, oh, I forgot my knife in the car, like... Right, Cliff, cut. and, not Cl- Cliff is inside, and Cliff has just smoked an acid-dipped cigarette that he bought six months ago and was stashing at Rick's house, and we totally have not mentioned Brandy yet, the Brandy? dog. Oh, yeah, yeah. Brandy, so, what a good so, dog. And it's funny, <laughs> and we also didn't mention, but we see, so, you know... Um, Rick has this beautiful house right next to Sharon Tate's house up in the Hollywood Hills. And um, and Cliff, we see, lives in a shitty little Airstream trailer behind a drive-in movie theater. And has this beautiful, beautiful pit bull named Brandy um, that he loves. And he gets Brandy back from the, the kennel when they get back and brings her over to, uh, to, to Rick's house. Because they've just gotten back. So he brings Brandy over. So, you know, this beautiful pit bull is in there. Cliff's in there having just gotten high on acid. Yeah. And, and oh, oh, so mm-hmm. one of the girls... Oh, and also, and Rick is, Rick's new wife is asleep. Oh, yeah, his, his new, new Italian, Italian wife. wife. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, so one of the girls says, like, oh, uh, I forgot uh, something. I forgot one of the my, my knives in the car. And so, oh yeah, yeah, Flower Child, the fourth one, like just drives away. Yeah, because he goes like, "Oh, let me go back to the car," and then you hear the engine starting. It's like, "Oh, motherfucker!" But that, it just goes to show how, like, yeah, non, you know, together yeah. they are on this shit, yeah. right? Then, Where it's like, because yeah, they go like, "Well, fuck it, we'll just like split ways and hitchhike," and you know, again, the hitchhiking right. shit, Jesus Christ. So, so Tex, Sadie, and Katie are all like, and they're all wearing all black and dressed like cat burglars and all stalking. It's yeah. so the funny. Street. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking like, oh man, it was a more innocent time. It was like innocent, a more stupid time. What the hell's wrong with you guys? Why were you just getting random rides from people you didn't know? Like, no wonder there were so many murders. Like, Jesus yeah, Christ. Like, you know, whenever people are like, "Well, when I was a kid, we just rode our bikes in the woods. Nobody knew where we were." And then I'm thinking about all the stories of missing children. Right. Like, we just don't think about it because they didn't survive to be able to say, "Oh God, we should probably have more restrictions and take, you know, care of our children." Yeah. Yeah. So, so they they come into the house. They all come into the house, and Rick and not Rick uh, Cliff is just. You know, high he's as balls, dazed, and yeah. he's just kind of laughing about it. And it's so it's so funny because Tex he says this line that I believe is is a real quote where he goes, "I'm the devil." And yeah, I'm here I've come to, to do, do the, the devil's, devil's work. Business. Yeah, yeah. He says, "I'm the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's business." Which Cliff later 
quotes as, I'm the devil, I'm here to do devil shit. Yeah, some, some devil shit? <laughs> but yeah, he, so after he says that it's supposed to be badass line, you know, Brad Pitt just kind of goes like, no, that's not your name. Yeah, it was something stupid in that. It was like Rex right, and Jackson. Right, <laughs> uh, I love that. He was like, no, another one. And it was devil. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and, and it just, what ensues is and, absolute... and he, and he Doesn't he go like, he goes like, are you real? <laughs> like, because, you know, he's dusting off his ass. Yeah. So he's like a... As real as a donut, motherfucker. You know, I was like, I'm aiming a donut. You got That was such a funny line, too. Yeah. Like, it's like donut. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, and then what ensues is just glorious chaos where essentially, <laughs> and this is where I will say, like, what I think the Bruce, the Bruce Lee fight established is that Cliff is a damn good fighter. Yeah. Even, even yeah, high off his ass. He, um, Especially against these people who clearly don't have any combat training. <laughs> right. So he, um, so he sicks his dog on, um, he sicks his dog on Tex. He starts, he bashes Katie's face oh my into, God. he just bashes her face into like the fireplace and then just well, keeps but she bashing d- her face. She does something to him. Oh, now I remember. She so, stabs him in the hip. Yeah, yeah. And he and he kind of looks to the side and goes like, huh? Because she tackles him really quick. Right. And he's and he's so high that he just kind of looks at this knife sticking out of his hit and kind of flicks it and he's goes, like, oh, oh, that, that happened. It's like, that was and, your fault. And she's kind of just looking like. Uh, and, he, and it's like he, you didn't have a plan after he, this, did you? He slams her face into Yo. into shit so many times that her head is just concave. Yeah, like he slams it in, in, uh, into a couple of posters, and then when he starts slamming it into that, you know, above a um, above a fireplace that'll have like a bit of a concrete slab, yeah. he like starts slamming it into that, and the was just like, oh, that was the part where, where I just had the oh. It's, oh it is extremely <laughs> violent, and the fact but again, that it's like he's high off his ass. These people just so, fuck with him. Like, oh yeah, yeah. He, he's just it's, going off. It's so cartoonish that it's like if it were slightly less over the top, it would be even more disturbing. But it's so cartoonish yeah, because I remember some people uh, before I went to go see the movie. Some people saying like, "Oh, you know, this big man beating up these small women. Like it's kind of like you like, can't yeah, really but they were trying to murder. It's like yeah, like time, you know what these guys were going here to do. Trying to murder him, and in real life, they did murder. Four people, in, four people, including a pregnant lady. So, yeah, like they kind of got it coming. Yeah. <laughs> again, it's and, the it's I the, mean, that's the thing, it's like, thing again, you right? Know? It's like you know, and this is again where the context comes in because yeah. it's like in the movie, in the world of the movie, they've just been talking about doing stuff, but in real life, we know what these people actually did. We know what they were capable of. So, watching mm. them get their comeuppance, yeah, even yeah. though they technically haven't done anything yet, is really satisfying. And um and and Sadie's the one that just again turns into a fucking murder. Oh my god! Because the dog starts uh, attacking. He, but first, the dog attacks the guy and knocks the, dog, the gun out of his and hand. And like biting, it bites his nuts. Te- oh biting, oh, biting Texas, Texas nuts. But yeah, so Rick was in the middle of feeding Brandy, getting her food ready, and yeah. he he chucks a heavy can of dog food right right at Sadie's face, and it like crushes her nose and so she's just screaming and waving her arms all over the place she's got a pistol she's shooting and oh yeah because she grabs the <laughs> first she has the knife because that's why he throws it because like oh she's about to stab him and then like yeah she get, gets her nose caved in falls to the floor the dog starts biting at her and like she's doing anything to try to grab the gun but she's just like randomly shooting sporadically and uh 
then yeah, that's when the other that uh, that's also what I like about the scene. Like it's so sporadic and insane, but you can still follow it. Like that's where it's like actually feels it like is, a good yeah. sort of Tarantino director movie. When, like I feel like as I'm watching the movie, I, even though it feels sporadic and just kind of random, because that's how real fights are, right? Like something like this, it'd be yeah. like, oh, this happens, and then this happens. But my eye could follow it. It didn't. Like it doesn't feel like that much of chaos because the the uh, way that the ca- na- camera moves narratively gives you a clean like you know ability to see the action and how it moves. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And and the um, the Italian wife briefly wakes up and comes oh, out yeah. and kind of helps and then runs off again, which can't blame her. Yeah, you um, know, I think it's like she sees the damage, she like jumps up like a fucking garden right. like as anyone would. Right, and is like holy fucking shit. And, <laughs> this is happening. And Cliff. Cliff passes out after he kills Katie. Oh, yeah, because... And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so Sadie runs out to the pool where, again... Um, and I thought there was going to be some electrocution happening because yeah, yeah, but, uh, he's listening to the radio and it falls in the water, but then he gets nobody gets electrocuted. Yeah. But Sadie... But, but, oh, boy, what does happen is dead. Sadie <laughs> comes running out, winding <laughs> in the pool, but she's still but, popping up and firing the gun yeah, everywhere. What's funny to me is that, like, she she's screaming and crying, breaks out and falls, and, like, has that moment where I'm like, oh, my God, like, she's silent for a second, but I think just purely in, like, the shock of, like, oh, I didn't know where I was going and I just fell, and then just kind of gets up again and just says, ah, yeah, and it doesn't see the pool it falls face first yeah. into there and he's just like Jesus Christ yeah and, and <laughs> I, we didn't mention earlier but a movie that Rick has been in that um, that uh, that Mr. Schwartz brings up oh earlier, yeah is called The 14 Fists of McCluskey. And it's basically, like, it's sort of like Inglorious Bastards. It's a let's kill a shitload of Nazis yeah, in an ultra-violent way. Yeah, and there's a scene where he has a flamethrower where flame he, like, thrower. lays waste to a bunch of Nazis. He, uh, he burns up 150 Nazis with a flamethrower. And then he, and then there's a bit where he's talking about how he practiced with the flamethrower. And there's a cutaway to him practicing with the flamethrower. And so it, it just kind of seems like... Okay, yeah, and then... What was the uh, Chekhov's flamethrower in this bitch? <laughs> right, so he gets out of the pool, he goes, gets the flamethrower out of his shed, and flamethrows fucking... Sadie to a crisp. <laughs> this fucking flame broils, this son of a bitch. Right. And so it's like, oh my god, because you see her like still flailing for a second, and then just have that moment of just... Life has left right. her and just falls into so, the wall. So like, all of the, so the Manson family members are dead, and emergency services show up, and Cliff is okay, and he's going to the hospital, and he tells Rick, don't you worry about me, just feed my dog, it's going to be okay, and he goes off, and then Rick turns around, and Jay Sebring is at the gate going like, what's going on? And then Sharon Tate, like... A, you know, comes over the intercom is like, what's going on? And he, and turns out she's a fan of his and he gets to go over and meet them. And we, we, at, at the very end, we get this sort of long shot. Yeah, it plays a really treacly with like really nice sound and music. You right, know. Of, of Rick going in and meeting Sharon Tate and meeting all these people. And it's like, it's not just, oh, he gets to meet these people he's fans of and it turns out they're fans of him. But also it's, he, he now, like he hasn't, He's this whole movie is going like I don't know what's going to happen with my career. Maybe I'm done, and now he's got an in. He just kind of saved the life of of Roman Polanski's wife. So uh, yeah. it's a happy ending for Rick. It's a happy ending for America. Mm-hmm. And um, and then that's that's the end of the movie, except for the credit sequence, the post credit sequence, which is really funny. But oh, yeah, the red apple. The, it's a uh, red apple commercial. That sorry, was so nice. Rick. Um, but. 
Oh, and and also uh, at the end, you hear what is because at first I thought it was just the Batman theme, and I was like, "Whoa, why is that happening?" But it actually sounds like the uh, a recorded ad on like a radio for like yeah, Batman and Robin, like a, for like a okay, like a kids, watch for the secret yeah, word, yeah, and, and I was just like, radio or whatever. So that felt like such a like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, man, yeah. throw that in like something clearly like from his childhood that he probably heard, you know? Yeah. So so yeah, I mean, it's. It, I, it was really interesting hearing your perspective on this because I guess like I would if you had asked me, I would have said, yeah, the fact that I have like read multiple books on the subject of the Tate LaBianca murders, yeah. you know, probably has something to do with my yeah. experience of this movie. Yeah. But but yeah, like I, I would say, I mean, it maybe like if you're listening to this and you didn't know anything about it or knew only the bare bones and you really loved it or if you did know a lot and you dated it, you know, let us know. But um, but yeah, I think for me, like having all that meta context, it, it felt like it felt like having a really interesting conversation with somebody mm. else who knew what was going on. And, and yeah, but I felt like ultimately it's like we've got this larger context, but this story is about this one guy's acting career yeah. in the in this context in this bigger backdrop yeah but and, it, it, for me it can feel a little deflating when that what you just said feels like the main plot and then it's just like wait why are we randomly following this other woman oh because there's something that you should be thinking about that should happen but that's not gonna happen it's like mm-hmm. okay yeah and so, it, yeah, you know it, it just feels like it, it relies like, on your like, right, and yeah, like knowing for, that. if you have that context because for me every time it cut to Sharon Tate I was not unhappy about that. Every time I cut to Sharon Tate, I was like, yes, what's Sharon Tate doing? Mm. What's happening here? Like, oh, that I'm very interested in what Sharon Tate is doing. But, um, yeah, so it's it's interesting. And, I mean, I think with Tarantino generally, and we can, like, you know, maybe take a step back now that we've done all of his movies that are out. Mm. Um, you know, with Tar- Tarantino is such a movies movie guy like he's he's a director's director he's so he's such a cinephile and all of his movies are to one degree or another about movies yeah and and especially at this point it's like the you know who i am you know what my brand is i'm allowed to indulge more right i mean the movie is literally called once upon a time in hollywood it's about hollywood it's about movies and, and so, it's specifically calling to the idea that this is like a fairy tale. This and I is think, a diversion of history, you know. Right. And with the exception, okay, like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, I think, are both very enjoyable without having any other particular context. Yeah. But I think with particularly From Jackie Brown on it's right, too, uh, like I and I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing, but it is a very specific thing that you enjoy these movies more if you have some sense of what they're calling back to and you're mm. not taking them in a vacuum. Mm. Um, I think it's, you know, with, um, at, you know, advice that writers are often given when they're trying to get, like, agents, it's talking about what what books are your book, what books mm. is you, I'm having trouble with verbs now. What books... Is your book in conversation with, is the phrase that's used, in conversation with Quentin Tarantino's movies are very much in conversation with other movies. And I think that if you're aware of the rest of the conversation, you will enjoy them a lot more. And that is very, very true for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So not 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 awful, not exactly like a fullness, but I, I feel like yeah, if you don't have the full like context, it fe- can feel a little underwhelming as a as the narrative plays out. Like that, but you know that's that's just how I feel as I was uh, as I was watching it. Like you know. Yeah, and that's and that is fair. That is completely subjective. Like for me, I really love this movie. I find it very emotionally satisfying, even while I again felt like a bit of a dupe because I realized how much I was. You know, being manipulated. Well, I mean, um, you know, it still informs your. It still that knowledge that you have still informs your enjoyment of the film. You know, regardless, it, like I mean, when it comes to like jokes or whatever, right? Like you know, having further context of something can inform you know understanding different layers of the joke. You know, like it's okay to be able to have that, right? Like, but it's just like yeah, it it it, it does. Uh, this this is more for your mileage may vary movie in the way that like you know you didn't have to know necessarily as much about Inglorious you know, what was going on with World War II in order to enjoy how that narrative unfolded necessarily. You know what I'm saying? Um, and for this, it, it feels a little bit more reliant on that is, is how I, I feel as I uh, come out of the viewing. But, you know, I'm still eager to see what the hell the last movie is going to be in the same way that I'm eager to see what in the hell... So is he just uh, said, Nope's like, he's going to make the 10th movie and then he's not going to do any more movies? Yeah, unless he's, like, going to yeah. do, like, all, you know, directors do and say, oh, no, actually, that one movie didn't count, or, oh, actually, uh, this is going to be a sequel yeah. to that one, so technically, <laughs> you, you know, they're always going to say some way to walk around it, you know? Yeah, I, I can't wait for Nope. Um... So I'm looking, um, right now I'm looking through my Kindle library because um, I would say, I mean, if you're listening to this, you're either uh, you're either a very strange person or you have, um, or you, why do I have, in, oh, I know what that is, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, either, either you have watched the movie or you're a very strange person. But I would say mm. if you're feeling more like DJ here and you're feeling a little like, I don't know, what was I supposed to get with this? Um, there is... Man, I've got some good books in my Kindle library that I have not finished reading. and We'll tell them about it. I, I'm just well, looking at <laughs> Well, no, I'm trying, to find, uh, I'm trying to find this book and now I can't freaking... Uh, man... Uh, Holly, the Hollywood Book of Death. That's not it. What? Where? Where the heck? Where the heck? Where the heck is this book? The sex. Movie. Oh, you know what? It's not in my Kindle. It's an Audible. I had Look it as I had it as an audiobook. Why is it that I cannot remember where I, whether I've read something with my eyeballs or <laughs> with my earballs? With please, my earballs. <laughs> please tell me. It is called Chaos. By Tom O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book is called Chaos. Charles Manson, the CIA. No, don't start playing. Ooh. I'm listening to another book. No, no, no. Don't. No, stop it. Um, Chaos, Charles Manson, the CIA, and the something, something. I can't read it because the thumbnail is too small. Uh, Charles Manson, the CIA, and the Secret History of the 60s by Tom O'Neill. Oh. It's a really good book. It does not... It does not have it suggests a lot and doesn't come to any solid conclusions so if it makes you mad if somebody writes a book and then at the end is like you know i don't have all the facts and i don't know exactly for sure then, uh, but it's a good book and i would recommend i would really recommend that as well as but last that's the author being honest you know and i say like well this is definitively and it's like well yeah, here's what absolutely. all the evidence can lead to um, so i would definitely and there's also a lot of like bad and misleading books and stuff about yeah. their um, there, there's, 
Okay, because I, I remember hearing something where it's just like the whole uh, race war like thing that Charles Manson was pushing was partially like his lawyer trying to push the claim of insanity by being like, oh, he was trying. That's what I'd heard. Is there any validity yeah. to that? No, actually, yeah. And they get into that with chaos. I mean, now that I think about it, and I may, be, I may have actually just repeated that myth um, while we were talking about the movie because I, you know, I listened to that book a while mm. ago and then the, the Helter Skelter narrative thing is so ingrained. Yeah. Um, mm. But because the, the way I like as I take in the information, yeah, his, I will say the the lawyer involved was yeah. super sketchy. There's a lot of sketchy yeah. shit. And so the way I look at it is like as I saw it is like it was probably true to some extent because it's not like he was like yes, this is my thesis and this is the common one. No, he was a fucking madman. You know what right. I'm saying? So, so like he probably had like a racist streak to him, absolutely. And then had this side, yeah. Because then he actually like tried to like blame it on. Uh, he initially tried to blame the killing on like some pimps that were up the street or something like that. Right. Right. Yeah, and yeah, so he, like he, that was probably on the brain as he was. He didn't blame some white guys, you know. Like right. And the um the basically with chaos the. Um, and listen to the last podcast on the left um, stuff about the Manson family also because they're always Marcus Parks is always really good with the research, but um, but with chaos if I recall like basically there was a CIA plot to discredit the left to discredit the hippies to discredit mm. the progressive movement mm. and. What he floats is that maybe the CIA maybe did something to, if not orchestrate, at least encourage something like the Tate LaBianca murders to oh, happen. Damn. He doesn't come God out. Damn it! He doesn't come out and say the CIA ordered a hit on Sharon Tate, but um, but, but probably allowed some shit to happen that they probably could have done better to take to you know track to make sure it didn't happen like that sort right. of deal like yeah so now i'm sitting here going what all i probably said a lot of inaccurate shit <laughs> now i can't remember what all but yeah there's a lot of conflicting narratives but absolutely charles manson's lawyer was like shady as shit mm. um anyway lots of good stuff to, but but i would say like if you if you <laughs> this is a good jumping off point uh, as a movie you know to you like am- learn more about well i would say <sighs> if you immerse yourself somewhat in the history and in what happened ahead of time. And then rewatch it. You get more out of it. And my voice is dying. Mm. I've been gabbing. So let's, uh, let's wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the Review of New Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You know what to do if you want to support your boy. Uh, ongoing support. Patreon.com slash Rap Critic. Or one-time donations. Kofi.com slash Rap Critic. Uh, definitely follow wherever you're hearing this. Uh, hit that follow button or the five star button. The, the thing that shows that you're responding positively to the things that the algorithm sees that engagement is happening. You know, do all those fun, sexy stuff. Uh, and until next time, I'm DJ. I'm Evan. Join <laughs> us next time. Same review in your time, same review in your channel. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>